So if we're going to talk about using media humanly, one of the first questions we have to ask is, do you tend to think of media as reality? So do you tend to think like, oh yeah, media is real, that's real, it's a real world, or do you tend to think, oh, it's just the media, so it's not that real, it's just the media. How many people think of the media world as a real world? How many think of it as, nah, it's just the media, <clears throat> it's not as real or whatever, okay. Now there's different ways to think about it, and I think that Aristotle and Plato would disagree. <laughs> so. We're free to think what we like about that. However, here's a question for you. Are there real ideas coming to us through the media? Yes? Real colors, real sounds, real words, real points of view, uh, real people who created the media, are in the media and using the media, audiences, etc. Yes? So, maybe it is a kind of reality. What would we call it? Blank reality. Begins with a V. Virtual, yes. Now you might think, well, isn't virtual reality just computer simulated environments? That's a very narrow definition um, of virtual. What virtual really means in a broader way is real in appearance and real in effects. Real in appearances and real in its influences. So the media is a real world. It's virtual, but it's real. So it's just like what Jesus was always trying to tell us, that our interior world is a real world. Our mind, our will, and our heart are real. When we think thoughts and choose to do actions before we do them in our minds, wills, and hearts, the things that we love, that, those are real actions. They're interior actions, but they're real. So like when we say the confidior at mass, um, I have sinned in my thoughts and in my words, what I've done, what I have failed to do, right? So, again, Jesus just kept trying to tell us everything starts inside our interior world and then comes out. And Pope Benedict said <clears throat> that we have to stop calling cyberspace that purely virtual world because he said there's real people out there um, creating real communities, taking real action, real consequences. So all of us media literacy nerds were like, he gets it. Okay. So what's the main difference between actual reality and virtual reality? Is there a, a line of demarcation where we can tell? So for example, this is actual reality here, all of us present. This is virtual reality. If I pull the plug, shut that off, it goes away. Pope Benedict's not really in this room, right? This is not, this is actual reality because my voice is just being amplified. So this, this isn't really virtual reality. So is there some, a way we can tell? Because I read an article that said in the future, they're gonna look back at our age and say they were so quaint, they used to make a big distinction between actual reality and virtual reality. But this article said that eventually everyone is gonna be walking down the street with Oculus Rift on, you know, or I'm gonna have VR on all day long, our VR headsets, and there's gonna be augmented reality, and we're not gonna, you know, remember Pokemon Go, when you held up your phone and you could see what was there, but there was things superimposed on it. They said we're eventually gonna go that way, and we're not gonna know whether we're in actual reality or virtual reality. Anyone see Ready Player One movie? 
they're saying that, that that will be our world. Now, I personally hope not, <laughs> uh, but is there a way? Is there, is there something we can go by to say, oh, nope, that's actual reality, this is virtual reality? Anyone? What's, what's the line of demarcation? Yes? Maybe like reality is what you can touch or feel. Thank you. Okay. Something you can touch or feel. Senses. The body. So when, when you get Sister Helena as a speaker, it's always going to just go back to theology of the body. All roads lead to theology of the body. And there's a huge overlap between media literacy and theology of the body. And here's, here's where it starts. So bodies are not optional. There is a reason God created us as bodies. And my big question is also, did God create us with little devices? Did we come out of the womb holding a little device? And we're supposed to carry them all day long and stare at them. And the last thing I see before I go to bed, good night, little phone. No, maybe I'll keep it with me a bit. <laughs> no. Okay. So... Bodies are not optional. There's a reason God created us as bodies, and we can't really choose to leave them behind and spend most of our life, most of our day, in virtual reality. Why can't we go to confession by Skype? <clears throat> Father could hear our confession, right? What's, what's the big deal? Could, like, bless us. And... Actually, they settled this question when the telephone was invented. Did you know that? People thought, oh, I'll just call Father up at the rectory. <laughs> Isn't this great? It's a snowstorm outside. I'll just call up and get my absolution. No. Why not? Because we're sacramental people. The sacraments are matter. God working through matter to change our reality for the better. God giving us grace and his life through matter. So even if somebody's in prison, the priest has to get all the clearances, right? Go into that prison and be with that person face to face. Um, presence, the full bodily presence. The body has to be there. So the negative way to say it is that with media, only a part of the bodily presence is there, the gift of the bodily presence. So for example, we can hear Fulton Sheen on the radio. He is D-E-D, but we still hear his voice extended in space and time. This is wonderful. Um, the positive way to say it is that with media, at least a part of the gift of the bodily presence is there. So we thank God for all this wonderful media, but we have to be mindful that the nature of the beast is to disembody us. And I love using digital media and, and virtual media, but I always have to keep in mind that what I'm really doing right now is splitting myself, body and soul, spirit and matter, physical and spiritual. And I don't want to set up a kind of dualism and, and, again, spend most of my time in this split kind of reality. So there's three ways of living in, this, in two worlds, but which one can't we really do? The third one. We can't really live 100% in virtual reality because of our bodies, and that's a good thing. It's not a limitation. Our bodies are not a limitation. They are a gift. 
They are delimiting, yes, but they're not limiting. And, and we can kind of fool ourselves because the virtual world feels unlimited, doesn't it? I can be anything I want to be. I can do anything I want to do. I can fly. I can be different people. Not really. <laughs> You're still you. So did you know that Marshall McLuhan, everyone knows who Marshall McLuhan is? He was a U of T professor of um, really interesting guy, like communications and philosophy. And he's kind of a guru. He invented words like eye candy, global village, uh, brilliant. Um, so people think that he was like a cheerleader for all the media. Now he died before the internet as well. And, but he understood like just to even watch TV, that was the first screen we were addicted to, television. <laughs> and we just transferred, now, now we have our devices, right? And he was really, he was critiquing it more than he was being a cheerleader for it. And he was a, a convert to Catholicism and he said, um, he, he kind of confided to some of his friends that he saw, thought a lot of this virtuality was Lucifer. <laughs> you know, the angel of light. Why? Because, precisely because it was disembodied. He said, this is not good. This is, there's no consequences. You know, there's no responsibility. This is all disembodied stuff. Um, <clears throat> no, like personal responsibility. So the Bible even says that the spirit of the Antichrist is anti-flesh. Whatever is anti-flesh is the Antichrist. Okay. There's a lot more we could say about that. So I'm going to skip over this really fun video because I don't think we have time. Oh, let's do it anyway. <laughs> We need to give each other the gift of our full bodily presence, FaceTime, undivided attention. I, when I talk to young people, I say, okay, so your best friend came up to you. They're really upset. They want to talk. Are you going to pull both earbuds out of your ears? Well, come on. This is your best friend. They really need. Well, okay. So um, when I also, I ask audiences, I say, how many people here are still hurt? when you're talking with someone and they just pull out their phone and just start staring at it or the phone rings and they just take the call right in front of your face and go, hello? Like mid-sentence, their sentence or your sentence. How many people feel hurt by that? Usually it's older folks, even here. That's just happened. Sorry, Shannon. Um, <laughs> usually it's older people who 
But and younger people are just so used to that. It's like, well, why would I feel hurt by that? That's what you do. This is what I know. This is what's always been done. But when you know when cell phones first came out, Kristen remembers. No, I'm just kidding. Just, I'm just kidding. She was one. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, so we used to like, if it rang during a conversation, we'd get so upset. We're like, I'm so sorry. We'd apologize. We'd turn it off and put it away. And now it's. It's almost like sending a message, like, you're not that important. What you were saying wasn't important. Um, I can still listen to you, yeah, right, while I'm looking at my phone. And, and the thing that really gets me is when you think you're having a good conversation, somebody pulls their phone out, and they, you know, the big smile comes on, and they get all excited about whatever this is, and you're like, okay, I know where I rate here. I get it. I get it. And I'm no longer invested in that conversation because... I know I don't have your full attention anymore. And how many more times are you going to do this? Like pull the phone out and yeah. So people in our face have priority over the people far away. Okay. And even checking hockey scores, the people in our face have precedence. They're more important. They took the time to be here, be, be here, be now with us. So we need if, if human beings don't get undivided attention, eye contact, touch, um, proximity of the body, we don't thrive, right? So why do so many people, young people, feel lonely? They're, they're communicating all day long on their phones. Um, they said, like, during the summer times now, younger people, they won't actually even necessarily meet up with their friends. They just communicate. If they're in their bedroom. <laughs> this young girl said... There's like, my bed had the like impression of my body on it from lying there during the whole summer, just texting with my friends and doing social media and playing games by herself, alone in her room with her other friends. So this is not how we were created to be and how we're, we were created to thrive. So Charles Taylor, the uh, great Canadian philosopher from Montreal, called this the buffered self when we sort of just close in, whether, whether that's with or without virtual media, where we do the opposite of the porous self. The porous self is open to the environment that I'm in. I walk down the street, I'm listening to the birds. Um, you know, I don't have my headphones on every single time I step out of my house or my dorm room or you know, walking across campus. It's true, like we have podcasts, we have music, we have classes to catch up with, but Every single time, so this is what I, I'm a terrible person, you'll learn that. Um, I used to, like, if, it was like a big DND, right? Do not disturb, like, this, per, I can't ask that person for help or directions or anything, right? Because they just don't want to be disturbed. And then I started being, I'm going to make it a point to go ask those people for help. <laughs> so I always go up to those people, excuse me, can you help me? And, and more than often than not, they're very gracious. They're actually happy that somebody cared enough to break that isolation, right? I never find those people are annoyed by that, actually. And I'll give you my little testimony toward the end. I used to be addicted to my phone four years ago. I was a crazy addicted person and how I got over it. You know, we're like ex-smokers. You know, people who quit smoking, they're the worst, right? They say, who's smoking around here? They smell something and they're like, go ballistic. Okay. So the buffered self, this is really something. Um, 
We know babies don't thrive, right? You could have a baby, an infant in an, um, a little crib, and they could be warm and have their formula, and you know the temperature's right. But if somebody doesn't pick that baby up and look at it and talk to it, that baby might not even live, right? We know this. Same with adults. Okay. Now here's something too. Uh, Pope Francis called it the lost art of conversation. So. Do you think that we've kind of lost the art of conversation? I ask much younger people, you know, like middle school, and I say, do you think, and they're, they're like really sad. They're like, yeah, we don't know how to do it. Nobody does it anymore. And, but it's a human thing to long for that, to starve for that. So, but nobody does it. So and if you can't like talk by yourself if everybody else is on their phone. <laughs> it doesn't work. You need two to tango there, right? So. Pope Francis called it the lost art of conversation. He also said that to just sit around and kind of use your phones together is not conversation. He said that is consuming bits of data and information. Consuming bits of data and information is not conversation. And I find even in the convent, like we put our phones away at meals, but then there's a, there's a, a discrepancy, right? Somebody says, oh, it's this, no, it's that. We pull up, what do we do? Pull out the phone, check the facts before long, it's a game show. Hey, did you know that? Oh, I wanted to show you this Facebook post and look at this video and before you know it, we're using our phones, right? So it takes a lot of discipline to say, we'll check it after the meal, like we'll figure it out after the meal. So there are, oh, oh look at this one, this is so sad. This is an actual commercial. Nature's Bounty Blue Team Blue helps protect eyes from damaging blue light. Filtering it out to help you continue enjoying your screens. Or you could just put your phones down and talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Nature's Bounty Blue Team Blue, because you're better off healthy. <laughs> it's a real vitamin commercial. Okay, so there are three sacred times and spaces where we do not need screens in our lives. This is a great way, if you feel like you're very undisciplined and you don't have boundaries and or you don't have a plan for how to use these wonderful, marvelous devices, but you just don't have a plan, it's not very intentional, and you just wind up using it 24-7, here's a great place to start. Tech-free zones, TFZs, not to be confused with TMZ. <laughs> okay. Tech-free zones in our lives. Where are the three places, they all begin with M, that we do not need. Did we do this before at the other TOT? No, because I see a lot of familiar faces. Okay. Um, what are they? Begin with M. Mass, meals, and married couples' bedrooms, master bedrooms. Why? Because of the images of God that are present. So at Mass, it's not just the image of God, it's God Himself. And when God is in town, He's the only show in town. We don't need movie clips playing. Um, there's one church I go into and they have a waterfall, a little gif of a waterfall or a film, I don't know what it is. And, um, and it's like, what are we doing? Oh, that's nature, we're appreciating God's nature. That's not God's, that's virtual. Go out in nature after mass, go enjoy the forest or something. But like, no, we're, we're doing something that's here, that's actually physically present here. Um, meals, especially family meals, and we have to have family meals, right? Because the young people, they're snitching, they're squealing on, they're telling. They tell me they have no family. Through the years, it used to be like maybe three family meals or weekends only. And then it was like one family meal during the week. Now it's zero family <coughs> meals. 
unless they go to a restaurant. So at home, there are no family meals, not on weekends, Sundays, nothing. Because everybody's going in a different direction. Everybody's so busy. Maybe somebody cooks and puts the casserole in the oven, but everybody eats at a different time. We have to have family meals because this is saying you matter. Young men, um, so there was this phenomenon. They were developing anorexia, not because they want to look skinny, but because nobody would cook for them. It's like, well, I'm not that important, so I'll just grab a granola bar. Like, no one wants to hear about my day, so, you know. Okay. And master bedrooms. So the founder of Tumblr, you know that blogger thing? It's not really cool anymore, but... <laughs> Some, some of the inventors of this technology and the CEOs of the big tech companies use this media better than we do. He had no screens allowed in his master bedroom, no digital media allowed. That's just a special sacred type. Okay. So what if it's absolutely necessary? Because sometimes we do have to get a text or a phone call during these times and places. We excuse ourselves out of respect for the images of God that are present, and we go and take care of business and then return to that place. And they are, people will think we're nuts, but maybe it will catch on, right? And you're respecting them. So, you know, I always say to young people, if you can't have that conversation with your family, because a lot of times the adults were the worst ones, right? We're setting a bad example. We have no plan. We're addicted. And, you know, the young people are kind of like, can we put our phones away? And the adults don't want to. So I say, if you can't have that conversation, you start doing it. Um, and then I tell them, when you grow up and you have your own family, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to do it the way it was done in your family. And I know it's hard because addiction is a strong word, but how many people think they know someone who is addicted to their phone? <laughs> Maybe it's ourselves, right? Um, and it's with two hallmarks of addiction. Denial, I'm not addicted. And number two, don't you dare touch my addiction, right? <laughs> so it's really hard um, to, get it, to get a handle on ourselves, but then to have that conversation with family and friends. And it's not like we're telling everybody, be like me, virtue signaling. You know, it's just like, sometimes I tell young people, why don't you try it at home or try it for Lent or Advent or something and then see if, if we don't like it better. Like, can we just try it together as a family? Because again, it doesn't work if only one person's doing it. So I used to suggest these places. Now I tell, no more sister nice guy. You'll thank me later. I have seen wonderful success stories of people who've done it and horror stories of those who haven't. sleeping 24-7, right? We're not eating 24-7. We're not studying 24-7. Why should we have this thing out 24-7? Right? Doesn't make sense. And really, we only get one life. So I never know where my phone is anymore. People will get, but I used to be addicted. Um, people will get mad at you. People who used to be able to get you within three seconds, you know, you know how all your friends are, right? How long it's going to take them to answer a text. And I have to say, I love my friends that I know will answer within three seconds. Everyone has them, right? Um, but it's okay. It's okay. We only get one life. 
do we really want to spend it like this? I don't. And even when I was addicted, I kept telling myself, someday I won't do this. But that day never came. <laughs> okay. So, you know, constant interruptions, constantly not being present, having my mind somewhere else on a thousand different things. I was losing vocabulary. My mind was fragmented and jumping all the time. I couldn't calm down. Um, there was just so many uh, negatives to that. So I'm sure you've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out. How about FUMORO, fear of missing out on real life? Because when we're down here, we're missing something out there, right? How about FUMAWAI, fear of missing out on what's actually important? <laughs> There's a woman in Toronto, she just wrote a book called JOMO, The Joy of Missing Out. I haven't read it yet, but it sounds good. Okay. So, which of these would you say is where everything changed? So there's um, Sherry Turkle, she, uh, she's at MIT, she's a professor, and she used to be a cheerleader, as were many others, for the internet when it first came out, and she was all excited about the possibilities, and, and then she said one of these numbers happened, and it changed everything, and she stopped being such a cheerleader. Which number do you think is she talking about? What number? Well, true, <laughs> but something happened that enabled number nine. Yes, number seven, untethered, when we went untethered. So she said it was great, you know, you could sit down at your computer with your big blue ethernet, you know, and do your stuff and then you walk away and go back to real life. And then we went untethered. So we would always be online, never ever have to get out of that world. So Pope Francis, Pope of the selfie, right? First Pope to do selfies. I think this was actually his first selfie he ever took. Said this really great thing. Um, while the negatives about social media and our devices and digital media are real, they do not justify rejecting social media. They just remind us that communication is ultimately a human rather than a technological achievement. So our challenge is to keep it human, to use it humanly. So we choose how we use, right? <laughs> but are we choosing? That's the whole point. Or are we just kind of falling into a default mode where we let our technology take over our lives and dictate to us? Marshall McLuhan also said, we shape our tools and then our tools shape us if we let them. I mean, there's a certain amount of shaping that goes on, but we can be so much more in control. Our founder, um, Blessed James Alderione, he couldn't understand, I mean, it's a very human thing, but he also couldn't understand how people could let themselves be victims of the media. He's like, no, we're in charge. We're, we're using this uh, very intentionally the way we want to, and why are we just letting ourselves be a victim? Okay. So I'm gonna switch over to something else here. So we have to ask ourselves personally, am I happy with the way I use media? Am I happy with the way others around me use media? Sometimes that's a different 
<laughs> rating that we get, right? So we are daughters of St. Paul. Oh, I love this quote from our founder. Some let themselves be dragged by the current. Others use media in edification and joy. But it takes a lot of willpower, doesn't it? It takes a lot of kind of planning and disciplining. But sometimes we have to go backwards to go forward. We don't just keep barreling forward. We say, stop. Okay, we've had this technology long enough. Nobody taught us how to use it. It wasn't like it came out and priests started giving us guidance <laughs> or like our teachers taught us now this is the best most human way or our parents we just all started using it continuously right constantly so again we have to have a plan uh, we're daughters of saint paul and we believe that if he were alive today he would be using all the latest technology to spread the gospel and and as he said you know anything that is beautiful and holy and pure and wonderful Think on that, right? Um, Jesus taking the first selfie ever. Okay. So, yeah, we struggle as, as nuns and as daughters of St. Paul, even though we're like media experts. As I said, I was addicted. Um, we struggle with it. But we also know that we're supposed to be uh, being an example and helping others use media in the best way possible. Which, as one teen said, uh, when I do, uh, I have teens, because sometimes we think young people are, are super happy with the way they use media, and they don't. They're struggling. They're the ones getting cyberbullied, right? So I have them come up with, like, what are the challenges and problems, and then come up with their own strategies and solutions. So one teen said, I'll never forget it, he said, maybe we can start to use social media better by using it less. Quality, not quantity. Um, there's a, a site called canadiancatholic.net and there was a great article on there called Using Media Like a Saint. So I was like, shoot, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> I was just trying to like use it as a human being. And by human being, I mean the best of what it means to be a human being. To use media humanly. So if we use digital media and we're Catholic, that makes us digital Catholics. Digital disciples, digital citizens, digital saints, and digital missionaries. I was in Calgary, and the priest wanted me to do a pre-Lenten mission at St. Michael's Church in Calgary, and he, he called it Becoming Digital Missionaries. And I was like, well, Father, don't you want to just be digital Catholics first? <laughs> like, I'm used to just talking about being good digital Catholics. He's like, no, sister, we have to, we can't keep all this good stuff to ourselves. We have to use social media, not like preachy, in a preachy way, but in kind of a transparent way. If this is who we really are, this is how I really live my life, then that should be out there. He loves baseball, and he says um, the goal of baseball and heaven is the same. Get as many home as possible. <laughs> um, and it really changed my life. Like, wow. He was just adamant. Like, we can all be digital missionaries. We can all invite people to, to God. Anybody recognize, well, you'll recognize him. Anyone know who Ray Kurzweil is? He is the head engineer at Google. Like, kind of the visionary director of all the other engineers. Brilliant man. He has so many things we use every day, like text-to-speech, speech-to-text, um, implants for the deaf. He has invented so many things. He holds so many patents. 
but he's a transhumanist, if you know what that is. And he has some pretty radical ideas about what a human being is. And if you ask him if he believes in God, he says, not yet. Because he believes the singularity will be God. You know, and that once we all upload our brains into the cloud, that will be God. You know, so he says um, someday that we'll be connected at least by chips. And people are doing that already, right? I, don't, I forget how many people in Sweden already had chips implanted in them just so they don't have to use their car keys. <laughs> so they get near their car and it automatically opens. And their front door automatically opens just because they have this chip inside of them. Um, and he says we're eventually our phones will just be a chip inside of us. And we, we already know that like somebody who's paralyzed can um, use their brain to, and their eye to think about moving something, and they can move the cursor on the computer. You know, So it's not really that far-fetched. And when people get upset about this, he says, but we're already choosing to use our devices that way. If we have our phone out 24-7... Won't it be nice to just be hands-free? You know? And he's got a point. And he considers this to be participatory evolution. So transhumanists believe that we need to take over human evolution ourselves because the human being is defective. We're so defective and limited that we need to become cyborgs. Um, and we need to give AI rights as persons you know, self-aware robots, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, no, no, no. Oh, and they just wrote a transhuman bill of rights. Wired magazine published it. Very scary stuff. Okay. And I would say, yeah, we're already, if we use the, the appendage, I, call, I used to call it the appendage, and then I realized it's actually a person. It's not even just an appendage. It's a person. It's a buddy. If we allow little children, that's the first thing they see in the morning, last thing they see at night, that shouldn't be for anyone, right? That should be your parents, your siblings, God, you know? Um, this, is, this is a genie. This is wish fulfillment, right? It keeps, keeps me in touch with my friends. I'm never bored. I can find my way around. I can buy stuff. Anything I want. I have the world at my fingertips. Okay, that can be pretty hard to resist. Now, we're not going to get into parenting the media because that's a whole other topic. But th there's a lot of great helps out there. There's um, these parents in Seattle. He's an um, IT guy with a PhD in theology. She's a teacher, school teacher. They had nine. They thought they were infertile. Eight years, no kids, and then they had nine children. <laughs> and they very innocently bought their kids iPhones, and their kids fell down rabbit holes. And they're like, we need to rethink this. And so they have some really great strategies for parents. Um, but I don't know about you. Has... Has the phone gotten old for anyone? A little bit old, like, yeah. yeah. Um, now, how many people here also grew up without all this technology? You did most of your growing up years. You had to write your homework longhand or on a manual typewriter because we didn't even have PCs. We didn't have computers, right? You know? And how many people think they had a good life back then? Like, you like all the new technology, but you had a... a a fine growing up without it. Well, we're going to be dead soon, like our generation. We're going to be the only ones left who can compare and contrast a world without all this digital media. And we're the only ones that know we'd be fine if the grid goes down tomorrow. We'd be fine. It would be a little inconvenient. 
but we'd be fine. Um, so our, we have a great responsibility, those of us who know the difference, right? Um, so for me, my phone has gotten old, um, not just because I'm over my addiction. Uh, it doesn't bring me joy. Creation brings me joy. People bring me joy. God brings me joy. As B.B. King said, the thrill is gone. <laughs> the thrill is gone. Okay. So how did I overcome my addiction? Well, I owe you Canada. Okay. So I am a dual citizen. USA, Canada, and I came back to Canada four years ago, and my sisters warned me, because there are a lot of Americans here in Canada, and they're like, okay, so it's going to be a time warp for you, and I'm like, what do you mean? And they said, well, Canadians are using media about 10 years behind the way we use it, and not, not saying behind as a bad thing, but just the way Americans were 10 years ago. And I didn't believe them. So, because I'm like, Toronto, it's a big city. So I come four years ago. Our internet was going down for like two hours a day, one hour a day. It's like, what the heck? You know? And they're like, and people are saying, well, that happens in the States too, right? And I'm like, there would be rioting in the streets. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, you know, the internet goes in and out sometimes. You know? um, so many things, like we have two high schools near us. And I would look out my office window, and the young people would come out of school four years ago, no phones, yelling, screaming, punching each other, vandalizing. You know what young people are supposed to be doing after school. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> and um, slowly I watched the digital creep, right? Now it's, it's really quiet. They come out of school like this, right? So, so what cured me was I couldn't communicate with people the way I was used to four years ago. Um, but I, I would say, I think Canada's almost up to speed with the U.S. now, which like, kind of breaks my heart. Um, because when I came to Canada, and I, was, I worked with young women, vocational speaking, vocational um, recruitment and stuff, and the young ladies, a lot of them didn't have smartphones. Or they wouldn't give me their cell phone, they would give me their landline, and I'm texting their landlines. <laughs> it was like, um, so many things. I could just give you a whole list of, of, of ways that people... And people were choosing the more personal form of communication. So in the States, we choose the most impersonal form of communication, like get out of my face, like quickly. <laughs> so we won't email you if we can text you. We won't phone you if we can email you. We won't meet in person with you if we can phone you. And in Canada, it was just the opposite. People were trying to choose the most personal form of communication. I never had so many meetings, meetups, and I was like, I remember this. I remember real people in front of me and long conversations and long attention spans. And I was just done. I can remember the day, and I was getting frustrated also because I couldn't use the media the way I wanted to to communicate with people. And I just remember putting my phone down going, I'm done. Now, of course, I still have a smartphone and I use it, but, but you're never going to see me. I'm going to be like a ninja nun. Like, I'll be posting online and you won't see me. Because when I'm out in public, like, I want people to know that I'm available. I'm, I want to uh, talk to you, or I want to see something. I want to be interacting with my environment, not with this thing. 
So, the same Holy Spirit who tells us to say yes also tells us to say no. So sometimes we think, I thought I was being a good digital media nun by just being on 24-7, but that's not good for anything, right? If we just volunteer all the time and we leave our family behind, you know, or we don't kind of balance our life. So the same Holy Spirit who tells us to say yes also tells us to say no. No, this communication does not have priority in my life right now. No, I am talking face-to-face -face with a real person right now. No, you cannot have a piece of me. <laughs> no, this is my family time. No, this is my prayer time. Okay. And the thing is, of course, that with all the new technology, this is, when I was growing up, we had television, radio, albums. We had <laughs> records. We had newspapers, magazines, um, cinema, and TV. That was it. That was media. And now we have this. And that's just maybe Christian apps right there. <laughs> okay. Forget the internet and the iPad and the whatever the heck. Okay. But we didn't get more time, did we? Did we get more time with all the new technology? Now we have a 26-hour day? No. So what do we decide to do? Multitask. Right? I'll do everything all at once and I'll get more done? Does it work? No. And how much of it is multi-slacking? <laughs> okay. All right, so I'm gonna wrap up here. But I really do think Canadians, y'all have, y'all have different priorities than Americans. You really do. And I think a lot of it has to do with Canadian politeness and manners. Um, what are your different priorities? And, and our, our, I'm a Canadian too. Don't make me choose, okay? I'm both. Um, family. I find people much more into family, much more into like the outdoors. Like not just in BC or something. Like there's an outdoor culture like everywhere. People like to go outdoors. They like to play sports, not just watch sports. Um, and conversation. I don't know. You know, the board games... Uh, Restaurants downtown, snake and ladders, whatever, the snake and lattes, right, you know. Like, people are into face-to-face -face communication, and, like, praise God for that. So, I am going to challenge you to keep that up. So, we've got the three places we don't need screens, which are? Mass meals, master bedrooms. We do need family meals. The same Holy Spirit that tells us to say yes tells us to say no. Maybe we can use social media better by starting to use it a little less. Quality, not quantity. And then to ask ourselves, what are my highest priorities in life? And am I honoring those? Or am I not honoring them? And I'm only honoring the device. So, I'm gonna, what, what's our national bird in Canada? It was just named about a year ago. Anyone know? What? No, it, it, was, it was settled. The Royal Geographic Society settled it. Really? What? Yes, yes. I, I thought it was settled. I was going to be an ornithologist. That's why I care, and that's why I know. <laughs> um, so it was the snowy owl, the Canada goose. Um, 
trying to remember some of the, oh, Chickadee, there was a few others, and I was really rooting for the Whiskey Jack, because, or, or Canada J or Grey J, so, sorry, <laughs> because it's this great, tough little bird, right? Um, and they chose it, even though it didn't get the most votes, people wanted the Canada Goose or the Snowy Owl, um, because they said it, it really typifies the Canadian spirit, intelligent, friendly, and hardy. So I'm going to challenge you to be intelligent in your use of media, media literacy, understand media. Friendly, always choose the most personal form of communication. And number three, hardy, resist the Americanization of your use of media. That's what I call it. Resist the Americanization of your use of media. Amen? Amen. This is the Q&A section of our night, Theology on Tap Night. You mentioned one of the M's where media should not be as mass. What about the use of screens in churches for lyrics or even for priests who use videos in their homilies? I think lyrics are okay. I know some people still don't agree with that because supposedly... People, if they have songbooks, will sing more from the songbook than from the screen. Some studies have been done. I have no problem with that. I think it, because other people say, if you're in your book, you're looking down, singing down. And if you are looking at the screen, you're looking up, singing out. Um, and I'm not a liturgist, so I know there are, are strict liturgists. Father, I'm sure, knows liturgists if he is not one himself. You have friends that like are really into liturgy, right? <laughs> so... Um, so I, I just have an opinion, though, about PowerPoints and, and movie clips during homilies. There's no place for that. It's the place for the spoken word. Um, storytelling and, and preaching and the different forms of um, oratory that we use as human beings will never go out of style. Um, and that's what the Mass is for. Romans says faith comes through hearing, right? And if you're deaf, there's sign language, etc., um, and I know this is happening. One priest told me, he said, I have a very thick accent. I'm from another country and the people can't understand me. So I use a PowerPoint <laughs> and they love it. Right. Um, but I'm like, you know what? I can understand you father. Maybe people need to bend their ear a little bit. Uh, but again, it's this easy breezy virtual way to, to get a message across and, that's not the only way to get a message across. And again, we're sacramental people. So there's a few bishops uh, committees in the world that have uh, forbade you to have an iPad on the altar. So like as a sacramentary, some priests, they travel a lot, so they have different language sacramentaries. And it's just easier to prop that up on the altar because it's virtual. You know, and well, that's one reason you pull the plot the plug or the battery dies and goodbye words. <laughs> um, and also, is that father's sacred iPad? <laughs> Has that been consecrated for the altar? Everything else is consecrated for holy use, right? Is he reading the New York Times on there and playing games and Candy Crush? Like, no, like, no. So you know what I think. Okay, <laughs> that's what I think. Um, if people are more interested in family life um, or outdoor life or face-to-face -face interaction, why is it still hard to engage in meaningful interaction? It is hard to maintain personal relationships. 
um, what can we do? Um, I think we just have to keep at it, you know, find people and, and have conversations with people who kind of feel like you might feel like this is crazy. We need to like put our phones away more and have conversations and it, it's going to be weird and awkward, I think, at first because we're like, I don't know what to say or, you know, maybe we're not a good conversationalist. Maybe we're an introvert for starters. So get your extrovert friends around and they'll help you, you know. Um, believe it or not, I used to be very shy and I had to come out of that, you know. Um, but again, I didn't have any competition because I grew up without internet and digital devices that were so easy to sort of just, when things were awkward, to put my head down or pull my phone out and it's expected. That's what everyone does. So it's just, I think, more effort. But if we can kind of um, enlist other people in this effort, people who, like us, miss conversation or never had it and would like to try it, <laughs> you know, long, meaningful conversations or... Um, I don't know, maybe start a book club or join a book club where you read something and then you have to talk about what you read. So there's already, you know, to a topic there. And again, I am not down on this media. I love it. And when I was a reporter for the BC Catholic actually asked me, so do you prefer that world without this media or do you prefer the world with digital media? And I said, I prefer the world with digital media, but without the addiction. You know, I love this stuff and I, I do use it a lot, but, but I will always put it away if there's a human being in the vicinity. <laughs> like, um, I use a prayer book of the mass when I'm at mass. I notice other people have iPads and cell phones following the mass. Is there a difference? Great question. Again, I really feel like, no, we shouldn't be using those in, in the pews even. Um, <clears throat> and I understand, like I have, I I Universalis, I have Lodate, I have all those prayer apps and Liturgy of the Hours apps. But again, it's so tempting, right? I just need to send this, you know, post or, or I just need to zip over to something else. Whereas a missile, not really a lot else you can do with a missile. Um, you know, and there's the idea of like people, we shouldn't judge each other, right? I had a woman come up to me and said, you know, sister, you really need to tell people don't judge other people at mass, like what they're doing on those devices. Like get that out of your head because you're judging people, which is true. Um, but I'll tell you a little story. I was in Atlanta, Georgia and at this parish and the priest, young priest came up to me after mass and he said, sister, I, I know you're talking about media. He said, something just happened to me during mass. And he hadn't really heard my talks, but he wanted to say something about media, media literacy. He said, I've seen people using their devices before in the pews during mass. And I always assume the best, you know, that they're using it for, or they're, somebody said, um, people like to take notes on the homilies. So you see the thumbs going too. <laughs> it's like, uh, do we, we never used to take notes with pens on father's homily, you know, we just used to rem remember it, you know, and maybe write it down. When we went home or something. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, he was up there and he said, he, he was giving his homily and there was a woman with a big old iPad in the front pew going with her hand during the entire homily. And he said, okay, I, I told myself she's probably reviewing the reading that I'm preaching on. <laughs> and anyway, he, he, he said, I grabbed onto the ambo and I, I stopped talking. He said, I wasn't angry. I just, I just... It was like something was wrong. Something was wrong. And I was 
holding on to that. I started shaking and I stopped talking and the Eucharist ministers thought I was having a seizure. <laughs> and I just, something said, this, we can't go on like this. This isn't right. This isn't right. So he recovered, you know, and, and when he never said anything to the woman, but I'm hoping there will be directives. Again, this is me, opinion, Sister Helena's opinionated opinions, um, that there will be directives saying that's not the time and place for it. And this priest said, um, and I, I just automatically do the same thing. We have a chapel off of our bookstore, and the sisters use it, and our, our book center customers use it. And if I am by myself, I might pull out my phone and use my laudate or whatever. But as soon as somebody comes in, I feel funny. I, I, want, I don't want to give bad example or scandal or make people think I'm doing something weird in, in the chapel that's not prayer related. And um, So Father said when he was in the seminary, he would use his phone for holy stuff in the chapel, but if somebody walked in, he would bless himself right away so they knew he was doing something holy on his device. <laughs> So, I don't know, it's an open question. I, and I've come down on the side of, let's not be virtual about it. What do you think about Catholic Twitter? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> there's Catholic Twitter and there's Catholic Twitter, right? So there's some Catholic Twitter, they're so, like, their inside jokes are so arcane, I don't get them. So if you mean that Catholic, Twitter after dark, Catholic Twitter after dark, like I really don't understand them. Um, if we continue to Americanize social media in Canada and progress towards being consistently on our phones, um, do you see a way not to get there? Well, what was, what's that famous saying? The only thing that's ever changed the world is small groups of thoughtful people. Like, don't underestimate small groups of thoughtful people who get together and can change the world. So it's something you have to do, I think, again, with your family, your friends. You can't do it on, you can do it on your own, but you're going to be really lonely. <laughs> you know, um, you'll be the odd man, the odd woman out if everyone around you is using it that way. So it just shows us how connected we are, I think, too, that we can't, there's so few things we can do alone by ourselves to, as a society, even, we have to, uh, come to some kind of an agreement and, and act a certain way together. What do you think of media as a substitute for the loneliness in formerly social settings like eating, etc., um, when living alone? Well, again, it's a great way to keep connected with loved ones. I think that is, you know, grandparents with their grandkids on Skype and stuff. That's amazing and wonderful FaceTime. Um, but it can't, like, again, totally replace it's great when we, we have absolutely no other way to make this happen, but again, we just have to check it and be careful. How much time am I spending in virtual reality? And, and, and am, I, am I making an excuse by saying, well, I don't have any friends, so I'll just stay in my room. Well, maybe we, can we make friends? Can we make an effort? Again, by joining something that's already there, like make it easy on ourselves, uh, find a group at church or, or elsewhere and join a group. Um, and there's always loudmouths. You'll always find loudmouths who will, you know, include you and do some of the talking for you if, if, you, if you struggle with making conversation. So, yeah, and the stats aren't good for when we do this, when we just say, well, it's, it's more convenient or um, I feel more comfortable. I always tell young people, do not break up by text. 
you must do it in person. You do not face to so we have to do the hard stuff face to face. Dating project. They talk about that. The movie Dating Project. This gal, she says, you know, she's in university, and she says, you never really get to see the person's face behind this stuff. You're never sure where you're at. You have to craft everything so carefully so people don't take it the wrong way because they can't see your face. On the topic of virtual reality, do you think commerciality, oh, commercially available VR headsets will help or harm evangelization? Okay, so I was down in Orlando. The U.S. bishops held this big thing about a year and a half ago called the Convocation of Catholic Leaders, and they had all different aspects of church life and life today, uh, panels and then people in ministry dialoguing. It was a wonderfully set up program. And I was on one of the media panels. And it was interesting because we had all different ages, huge cross-section, Canadians came down to, um, everybody was in ministry there. And the younger people were saying, we have to get into VR. Everything we're talking about today is gonna be obsolete in 10 years. We have to just, you know, do Bible studies in VR and you can go to the Holy Land, you know, and um, they're just pushing, pushing, pushing for this. and. This older gentleman on our panel said, yes, but again, we have to discern everything. And do we want to just follow along the way everyone else is doing something, or do we want to have a better plan? And he said, actually, as Catholics, as people of faith, sometimes our call is to resist, right? To resist certain things in the culture or resist the ways that things are being used in the culture. So. Resistance is not futile, okay? And I, I was like, dude, that was like so good. <laughs> like, I agree, but I, I didn't know what to say at the moment. I was like, nah, I don't know if we should just rush into this. Um, <clears throat> what is a good way to use media, specifically social media, to evangelize without hostility? Oh yeah, like charity always. So, ah, it's so nasty out there, right? Catholic trolls are like our biggest problem as church online, right? Christian and Catholic trolls, you know who I'm talking about. And you know some of these people in real life and they're not that bad, but they get online like, Rawr! and it's like, no, do you think you're drawing anybody? You know, you, you draw more flies with honey than vinegar. Um, do you think this is, anybody wants to join you and be like you? <laughs> Stop, listen to yourself, you know? Um, so somebody was attacking this woman who, doesn't believe Vigano, okay, online. She's a famous person and famous Catholic. And they were like trying to involve me in this fight and like, who does she think she is and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, she's just stating her opinion and stating her facts charitably. She's not attacking anyone. She's just saying, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. So I think by being a kind, charitable Christian online can go a long way. I'm doing damage control all the time. I'll like DM people privately or message them privately. I'm so sorry. Not all Christians are like that. Please don't think this is who we are, you know? Um, but I think to be transparent. So again, like if that's who you really are, if you would actually say that, say it online. If you would actually do that, do it. If you would actually post, I knew this gal, she was a tennis star in her high school. And she was into fashion and fun and all kinds of stuff. But every so often she'd throw a Bible quote out there because that's who she is. And her friends didn't like it. And she didn't care. She's like, well, 
if you like me and you like tennis, you're going to get a Bible quote every so often. <laughs> it's who I have. Um, but teens give us the best advice. So like I said, I make them do um, their own um, problem solving. So, and then I tweet out their stuff. I get the best stuff from teens, the best advice. So um, don't subtweet. It's nasty if you want to be more like Christ. Um, if you see someone getting bullied, you have to step in. They said, you don't just stand there and not bully. You have to step in. You have to do something. Um, if you wouldn't print it out and hang it over your fireplace, don't post it. Don't think you have to shove God down people's throats. Be natural. Don't be a jerk. So that was our theme of the day. Don't be a jerk. Um, let's see. Don't be a Jesus freak on social media. Be happy and positive, and people will want to know why. Mm, good, right? Um, oh, this one I loved was about being bullied, too. You have to use the two warm fuzzies rule. You must say two nice things to that person. Okay, these kids were really, this is London, Ontario. Be careful which celebs you follow. Their values and the causes they support can transform you. Wow. Okay. Um, if something could be misinterpreted, don't post it. And one thing I learned, too, this is from Pope Benedict. He said, be careful what you share. Don't think, well, I didn't create it. Ha, ha, ha. So I'll just share it. He said, no, everything you share, you should be able to stand behind it as though you crafted it yourself. That changed my life, right? I was like, oh, man. So sometimes I would share something that was true, but it was snarky. It's kind of a little bit mean and snarky, like maybe an article somebody else wrote. But I, was trying, I like the truth in there, but the medium is the message, right? The way you say it is a huge part of the message and sometimes can override the message. So tone is everything. And tone is hard on social media because people don't use sarcasm people won't get it <laughs> okay so at the beginning of this big crisis in august in the church and everything august september right this priest in la that i know in los angeles he's just started doing all these jesus tweets so for a joke i said to him father what's with all the jesus tweets don't you know there's a crisis in the church <laughs> like you know there's a crisis because we're not focused on god right um, and, and being loving God and neighbor. And, and so other people, like, were, they didn't get that I was being sarcastic. And they were like, sister, it's always time for Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, we all have our own stories, right? So, so I always try to, you know, if I, if I do something wrong, I take it off. If people don't get it, I re remove it immediately, and I backtrack, and I apologize and stuff. Okay. Oh, and if God is the first priority in your life, don't 10,000 selfies of your face say otherwise? <laughs> so, again, if it's all about me, 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 my life is all about me and nothing else, what are we saying online, right? Okay, and then I want to answer a question from Joe because his wife sent him here to get the answer and he can't go home without the answer. Where's Joe? Uh, hi, Joe. Okay, so he said on the poster, it said, where is God in a wired world? And what would you say? Where is God in a wired world? Where is God in a virtual world? Where is God in a digital world? Where is God in a transhuman world? Transhumanist world. I told Joe I had the answer. But I like to hear other people's answers, too.
What? He's right. Everywhere. Right? God hasn't moved. God is everywhere. God is not afraid of technology. God loves technology. He loves the stuff that we, our, our human genius can invent. So he's already in the future, right? He's already there. So it's not like, oh, we invented some technology that can get rid of God. And we have God-free zones now, GFZs. Like, no, no, he's still there. And the place where we can find him most, I think, is in the human person, right? Because we are the image of God. So wherever you find human beings in the media, they may be very wounded, damaged, images of God, but images of God, beloved images of God nonetheless, um, that's where we find God, and we can't turn our back on any image of God. But, but I like what Joe said. He was saying, if we chuck the human element from our media, like Pope Francis said, it's a human achievement, not a technological achievement. If we chuck the human, we're chucking a big piece of God when we do that. Amen? So we find God in the human. Uh, you get rid of the human, you get rid of God. You get rid of God, you get rid of the human. We, we rise and fall together because he's bound himself up with us, especially in the incarnation. So thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And this will be a podcast.